Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Xtalks is excited to introduce the inaugural issue of Xtalks Clinical Edge, where innovation meets expertise. This digital magazine offers you exclusive conversations with some of the brightest minds and trendsetters of the clinical trials community, offering you a front row seat to the evolving landscape of clinical research. As you dive into the rich content of Xtalks Clinical Edge magazine's first issue, you'll discover insights from pharmaceutical companies, patient advocacy groups, leading clinical research organizations, and an ensemble of key opinion leaders from organizations like the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative and the Mayo Clinic. Follow the link in the show notes or visit clinicaledge.xtalks.com forward slash issue one to dive into the first issue of Xtalks Clinical Edge magazine and be a part of the conversation shaping the next era of clinical trials. That's clinicaledge.xtalks.com forward slash issue one. Hello and welcome to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com. And this week, I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest on the show today. We have with us Tope Leimu, who is a toxic exposure attorney at Motley Rice. Tope will speak to us about a litigation she is leading over hair straightening products containing harmful chemicals. The FDA recently issued a recommendation for the recall of chemical hair relaxers containing harmful chemicals. While the FDA has initiated its rulemaking process, a ban hasn't been implemented yet. The products, which have historically been targeted primarily at Black and Brown women of African descent, have drawn major concern due to their links with reproductive-related cancers, such as ovarian, cervical, and uterine cancer. An October 2022 study by the National Institutes of Health revealed that women using chemical straighteners face a 150% increased risk of uterine cancer. Attorneys leading the case, including Tope, say that the FDA proposal is a significant step in advancing public health for women, particularly Black and Brown women, who are disproportionately impacted by many of these products that are alleged to be harmful. To learn more about the products and this litigation, let's turn to Tope. Tope, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I'd like to start off by asking you about some of the adverse health effects linked to the use of hair smoothing products uh, that could contain harmful chemicals like formaldehyde and formaldehyde releasing chemicals. Sure. Um, well, formaldehyde is most commonly used as an ingredient in embalming, flu- embalming fluid and, and in the industrial context as well. It's colorless, it's highly toxic chemical, but it's also added to cosmetics, um, and personal care products as a sort of preservative. So among other health issues like respiratory disease and related exposure to irritants of body parts like the eyes, the lungs, the skin, the throat, it's also le- linked to an increase of several cancers. Um, but when we're talking about hair relaxers, that's sort of a toxic soup, if you will, of chemicals that can also include 
phthalates and parabens and other sort of dangerous compounds. And so what's at issue in our litigation is not just one chemical per se in one product. It's these chemicals as a whole and the synergistic effect of the chemicals contained therein interacting with each other. So separate from just the issue of formaldehyde releasing chemicals, there have been studies um, on the health impacts of relaxers on black and brown women of African descent. One of those studies is a sister study. It, it speaks to the use of straighteners and other hair products and the incidence of uterine cancer, as you had just alluded to. I believe that study came out in 2022. It's a United States-based study, and it included approximately 34,000 women, ranging from the ages, ages of about 35 to 74, large racially and ethnically diverse prospective cohort. Mm -hmm. And they reported their use of hair products. Um, and so a lot of findings uh, came from that studies, which were interesting to us um, and the crux of this litigation as well. And before we get into some of the other questions that I have here, um, really being such an important issue, I think I want to ask how listeners can get in touch with you if they believe they've been affected by um, products that contain some of these harmful chemicals. Sure. You can reach out to my law firm, Motley Rice, directly. Um, and Aisha, I will give you email address, um, phone number, and a web link that you could share with your listeners and the description of the podcast um, so that people can directly connect with us. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And really, this relates to the idea about getting the word out to uh, such a large population. And as you mentioned, that study uh, by the NIH where um, the you know age range so vast and it's so it's very critical um, in terms of really uh, reaching uh, the you know consumers which you know um, are such so so diverse in terms of demographics and uh, in terms of age alone so this is very very important absolutely um, what are some strategies in terms of like really um, increasing awareness of, around this this issue I think scientific studies and, and epidemiological studies um, are one way to, to raise awareness, going back to the sister study that I was just talking about. The general takeaway was that after an average of nearly 11 years of follow-up, that women who had reported the use of, of these hair straightening products were almost twice as likely to have developed uterine cancer than those who did not after adjusting mm -hmm. for other factors that might affect risk. And so women who had reported frequent use of straighteners and we say frequent use more than four times in a previous year, we're about two and a half times more likely to develop uterine cancer. Wow. So studies like that um, certainly shine a light in terms of awareness, um, raising awareness in conversations in these communities that has been happening is becoming more amplified now. Um, and it's important because not everyone is aware. It's important to understand that for many people, it was almost a rite of passage to have their hair relaxed. You know, many of these hair relaxers were targeted specifically um, to young people. And when I say young people, I mean children. Many of our clients have been using hair relaxers since they were very, very young, before even teen years. Wow. So when you just think about that for a minute, you know, childhood, puberty, these are particularly sensitive times yeah. when the body is undergoing crucial cellular and hormonal changes. So only more recently has, th has this awareness really started spreading um, this lawsuit in and of itself, it's my belief, is a measure of raising awareness. Um, and certainly the FDA proposed ban is also a way to heighten awareness as well. 
Indeed. And so what are the case criteria? And can you explain a little bit more about that, provide details on that? Sure. So so the case criteria, um, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, endometrial cancer, those are the cancers we are laser focused on um, based on the science and the epidemiological studies out there right now, as we know, science is developing. Um, in terms of usage, it's women who have used hair relaxers for at least five years of continuous usage um, and have used hair relaxers at least four times a year. And if you know anything about hair relaxer and the hair relaxer process, many women very much exceed that in maintaining their straight hair um, over time. So four times a year and, and at least five years of continuous usage. Uh, in terms of the diagnosis timing, the diagnosis must have happened within 10 years of the last use. Um, and we are also taking cases and representing the estates of women who have died after developing uterine, ovarian, and endometrial cancer um, and representing their loved ones. And for those cases, the death must have been within the last 10 years. And what are the challenges um, in with respect um, to regulation? So what are the challenges that the FDA faces in enforcing such a ban on these kinds of chemicals and hair products, given their widespread use? You know, I suspect one might say scale based on just the sheer amount and volume of the types of these products that contain such chemicals. You know, I would submit, Aisha, that there's mm -hmm. a challenge to any ban enforcement, right? Yeah, uh, so that's that's yeah. certainly not a novel element of these particular right. products. People become almost dependent on the use of certain products, whether it's just the habitual, almost routine frequency of use or how it makes mm -hmm. them feel. Um, but in my mind's eye, the emphasis or, or concern on the challenge um, of a ban enforcement has to be looked at in the context and understanding that what we're talking about is products that are hurting and killing women. And at the crux of all of this is, is just knowledge and education. If people have the requisite knowledge and information about the true potential ramifications of using these products, then and only then can they make informed choices on whether or not to use them. So it's about the, the lack of accurate and complete information, um, which strips women, especially in these instances, from the ability to fully make that choice. And how do you foresee the beauty industry responding to the proposed ban, given that how you mentioned that, you know, these products are so widely used? I can't foresee how they'll respond. What I hope they'll do uh, is take stock of how harmful these chemicals are, um, especially now that it's really more front and center of our collective consciousness mm -hmm. and take steps to discontinue products that have these harmful chemicals. The gravity of what we're talking about is so great. Yeah, you know, yeah. the beauty industry exists because in essence, women in particular are told, you know, we're not quite good enough <laughs> as is, right? An XYZ product will make us look better, feel better, mm -hmm. be better, um, perform better professionally. The trajectory of our mm -hmm. career will be positively impacted, will be more accepted in society, more desirable, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But it's not really beauty if it's harming you. And so I will say there are some other countries who are more on the ball than this, than ours, um, and in the United States and, and still have robust beauty industries. It's not just doable, but it's necessary and it's urgent. And I hope companies rise to the occasion because lives literally depend on it. 
And uh, you did touch upon this and we did, uh, you know, speak a bit about this, but can you discuss further the disproportionate impact these harmful beauty products have had on women, particularly of African descent, since they were, since they have been historically targeted towards this demographic? Sure. Um, And and the best way to do that is a bit of a history lesson, because Mm -hmm. um, as a Black woman, I know this very intimately, that the topic of Black hair, especially for Black and Brown women of African descent, carries with it significant historical weight. It's very loaded. And historically, Black women have dealt with and deal with trauma and contempt, really, surrounding Mm -hmm. the texture of our hair. and have been made to feel compelled to conform to Eurocentric beauty standards, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And these are often biologically unrealistic standards, (laughs) and they underscore the notion that straight hair is an indicator of moral aptitude, of of Mm -hmm. social status or social standing and, and professional ability. And that hair that is textured, so my hair literally as it grows from my head, Afro textured hair, if you will, that's been branded as less than unattractive, unprofessional, unappealing. And so that sort of scrutiny and degradation over the grade mm-hmm. and texture of hair goes back to slavery times. Mm-hmm. Where slaves with a lighter com- complexion and less coily hair were favored to work in the home in less strenuous positions than ones in the plantation fields with coarser hair. And because Afro textured hair oh. reflects African heritage, Rather than European ancestry, Afro-textured hair was a symbol of low social status. So in addition to aesthetics and beauty preferences, based on the historical context that we've just sort of discussed, straight hair and the maintenance of it has always been a way to assimilate and integrate um, for Black women into education and professional and social spaces. And so hair discrimination is real. There there have been studies looking into, you know, black and brown girls who have experienced hair discrimination amongst their peers and spaces where they are the minority. Uh, This is the sort of social and and cultural pressure for many black and brown women Mm -hmm. of cultural, um, of of African descent, excuse me, precipitated this concept of straightening hair in the first place. And so these products are proportionately affecting these black and brown women because their hair is more coarse and coily and Afro textured in its natural state. Um, and I will say, you know, we've very recently seen the Crown Act that was introduced in, in 2021, uh, and it stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. It's a legislative bill introduced mm-hmm. in both houses of con- Congress to address discrimination against protective hairstyles Mm-hmm. worn predominantly by women of color, like locks, like braids, right. twists, you know. So when you consider the historical context and the implications of classism and social yeah. fitness and, and just notions of professionalism and that Eurocentric concept of beauty, it is no surprise that it is Black and brown women mm-hmm. um, of African descent who are pr- disproportionately prone to use and thus impacted most by these products and their harmful effects. Indeed, that's very heavy and loaded topic. And thank you so much for providing the historical, the very important historical context. And so, you know, um, you did mention the crown and that how that was brought up in in Congress, which is wonderful. And so um, how do we overcome um, these kinds of historical biases and 
and standards that have been so entrenched in, in certain communities. Obviously, we're talking about um, black and brown communities. Um, and what measures, I think this relates to a question I did ask earlier, but are there any specific measures being implemented to raise awareness uh, among uh, particularly the black community about the risks associated with hair relaxers? And how, how are, are, is there a shift in, in sort of um, beauty standards and how women are looking at their, uh, at their hair and at their beauty now? And how can we facilitate that as a society further? Sure. I mean, I think you can never underestimate the importance of information and education, 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 education to our own communities and to other communities um, and empathy, right? Understanding historical frameworks with which um, we decide what biases that we have against each other and and how we discriminate, even if not intentionally. Um, So that's important in raising awareness and also just overcoming this gargantuan issue. Um, and as you can see through the Crown Act, sometimes things don't change unless they are pushed to change through legislation. In my experience and what I do and what I feel so passionate about, sometimes things don't change unless pushed in the arm of litigation. Um, right. and so um, those things are happening not just to, to create awareness, but to literally um, strong arm um, and push things in the direction and trajectory that they should be. And, and I think Representative Ayanna Presley said it best when she said, regardless of how we wear our hair, we should be allowed to show up in the world without putting our health at risk. And that's really the crux of all of this. Indeed, very profound and very, very simple, simplistic, you would think, but uh, just overcoming so many shackles and, you know, so many entrenched ideas. And so, Tope, where are things at the moment with the litigation and what are uh, some of the steps moving forward and any um, timelines for things and and what can we expect to hear? Oh, sure. I would be a fool if I were to guesstimate timeline of litigation. <laughs> with litigation, so yeah. You shouldn't be asking <laughs> I won't that. venture to do that, but we're certainly, <laughs> yeah. um, we're certainly out the gate. Um, I can tell you that much. And, and just for your edification and the listeners, you know, this is a multi-district litigation. And so what that means is there are cases filed all over the country, but they have been consolidated um, in front of the Northern District of Illinois and that court um, for efficiency of discovery purposes, for the discovery portion of the cases. And that's a lot of information exchange through documents and testimony um, between parties. So that's the, the phase that the litigation is in right now um, and is ongoing. There's cases being filed every day um, and that's where we sit right now excited to to pursue this more and and see where we end right and we wish you all the best in your work very important uh work that you're leading here and um you know thank you so much for being on the show and uh providing your insights and the details on the case and providing so much context and um about this whole issue and uh, we really really appreciate your time Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate the platform uh, to speak on this important topic. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you all next week. Bye for now. 
thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.